Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Very glad to be with you tonight. I have a message that I think will be a great blessing to you. And I'm going to call this message, Where is God Coming From? Where is God Coming From? Perhaps you've considered December 7th, 1941, 9-11, the Holocaust. There have been some terrible things that have happened in man's history, and we could list a great long list tonight. And sometimes when we take a look at these events and catastrophes that have happened, we say, where is God? And when is he going to appear? Job in Job 23 and said, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And in verse 80 said, behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. And on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand. I cannot see him. He was desperately seeking after God. Couldn't understand why he was going through what he was going through. This great trial of his that we even talk of to this very day. Where is God coming from? And where is God when I really, really need him? Think back to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And when Lazarus got sick, word was sent to Jesus. The one you love is sick. We expect you to come right away. But the Bible said he abode two more days, and then he left. And by the time he came, Lazarus was dead. They thought, we have an in with Jesus. We're part of his inner circle. He loves us. He's done great and miraculous things. It's no big deal. But when he didn't come on their schedule, it bothered them to the point that they were actually angry and upset with him because they did not understand where God was coming from. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had any situations in your life where you wondered where God was and when he was going to show up and how he was going to answer your prayer on your schedule and your terms? Where was God when you lost your job or you lost your home? Where was God when your spouse died or a child in your family died or, or one of your parents died? Didn't you ask at that time, God, where are you? I'm one of your favorites. Surely you will hear and answer my prayers. Even children have been known to ask, where was God when my parents divorced, when the marriage failed? We prayed, we wept, we pleaded, but it was as if no answer came. Proverbs 24 and 10 said, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. There's going to be adversity in our lives. We're living in days of adversity. We could easily say, where's God now? Why isn't God doing something about this COVID-19 or, or the rioting and the upheaval that's taking place in our nation? 
well, why don't we just have God come right now and solve all of our problems and meet all of our needs? But I would like you to prayerfully consider Isaiah 55 and 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, we rely a great deal on our senses. We have been taught to be sensible, sensible people. We have a shortage in our day of what we call common sense. If you're going to try and figure all this out, you're going to drive yourself crazy. It doesn't even make sense. God does not have a TV station. He's not on the radio broadcasting what he is doing every day. He relies on us to be the broadcast. We are the ones that report about the good things that God is doing. How about the two people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Or the young man that was baptized on Sunday? Or people that have been healed? Where's that news coming from? You're not going to find it on the media outlets. That is up to us. We are his broadcasters. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Listen to what the senses did for Thomas with Jesus. He had said to the other disciples, I will not believe until I see and until I touch the nail prints. And listen to what Jesus said to him in John 20 and 29 after he allowed him to see and to touch. Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are they whom have not seen and yet they have believed. I don't have all the answers. I don't know why God heals some and doesn't heal others. I know this, if God healed everyone that ever got sick, we'd have eternal life right here on earth. But I don't know his discretion, and I don't know his ways. But I know and I trust that he knows what he's doing. And we need to trust him as well. Let me take you to a battle and show you where I think God is coming from even today. And he's coming. There's a great battle going on between the Edomites and the Israelites. It's almost a trench warfare because the Israelites are outnumbered. And so they have dug in and are trying to hold their position. They are waiting for reinforcements. They are believing that more Israelites will join them in the battle. And more importantly, that God will back their play. That God will come right through their ranks and go against their enemy. He's just got to do it because they're God's people. Maybe it is a dark night. Maybe it's hot and they're sweaty and they're hungry and they're filthy and dirty and tired of battle. And all of a sudden, in the darkest part of the night, there's this roar. And it sounds like the enemy is about to rise up 
and is going to advance on them. And they are fearful. And surely their thoughts are, where are those reinforcements? Where is God backing our play? We're about to be overrun. But all of a sudden, in Isaiah 63 and 1, they find out what all the noise is about. Who is this that comes from Edom? He's wearing dyed garments from Basra. That this is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness am mighty to save. It was as if the jolly green giant appeared. The great warrior, much bigger, much stronger, much more powerful than anything they had ever seen before, had come right through the ranks of the Edomites victoriously with blood all over his clothing in the defeats that he had over the Edomites. If you look at verse 2, it says, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments, like him that treadeth in the wine fat? And here's his answer to their question. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people there was none with me. I will tread them in mine anger. I will trample them in, the, in my fury. And their blood will be sprinkled upon my garments and will stain all of my raiment. Do you know what confused Israel? They were confused by the direction that God came from. They were always looking over their shoulder for reinforcements, replacements, and even God. But God didn't come from their back. God came from their front because God was behind enemy lines doing the work that they couldn't do. Basra is the capital city of Edom. He went to the capital city. I hope somebody's listening to me tonight. He went to the capital city and he tore things up right there right at their place of government, right at their place of strength, behind their enemy lines. He was doing the work that none of them could do as they huddled in their foxholes. And then he worked from Basra right toward his people and he delivered them with a mighty, mighty victory. Where is God coming from? He's coming from the front. He's working behind enemy lines. He's destroying and bringing down capitals because he is mighty, mighty to save. We still serve a mighty God. He's able to do anything and he will. Or how about this example? How about the time that, that the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant? How do you think the Israelites feel now? The Ark represented the presence of God to them. It contained their history, their miracles, their provisions from God. And now it's gone. Now it can't lead them in battle. It belongs to the Philistines. How defeated they must have felt. And you know what they could do about it? Nothing, because they had already been defeated by the Philistines. So where's God now? I submit to you tonight that God is behind enemy lines. 
He's working. They put the ark in the temple of Dagon, their God. They put their God above the ark of the covenant. They went to bed and they came back in the morning and here was Dagon laying on his face before the ark of the covenant, defeated and humbled. Oh, don't let anybody see this. Nobody should see Dagon laying on his face. So they propped him back up. And later on, they went to bed that night and they came in the next morning. And this time, Dagon was not only on his face, but his head was over here and his arms were over there and his legs were busted off. And the only thing that remained intact was his torso. He had been destroyed. He had been broken, fallen before the God of Israel. And the people were upset. Don't let this word out how great their God is. And then you know what happened next? Not only did he defeat Dagon and embarrass their God, he gave them hemorrhoids. They were such a pain to God that he gave them a pain. I think you know what I'm talking about here. Hemorrhoids. And not only hemorrhoids, other diseases. And pretty soon all this disease is falling upon the Philistines and they're falling apart. And who of the Israeli army is fighting? Nobody. It's God doing all the work again, causing great hardship, disease, and even death on the Philistines. Well, what are their choices? We gotta get rid of this ark we got to get this out of our nation. It's not a blessing to us. It is a curse. And so they put it on a cart and they ship it back. And Israel realizes once again that God has given them a great victory. Once again, from a direction that they didn't think it would be, from behind enemy lines, God was working. I'm here, I'm going to say it again tonight. You wonder what God's doing just because you don't see? You think God doesn't care? You think God doesn't answer prayers? You think God is unknowledgeable of the evil and the terrible things that are happening in the world? He is fully aware and fully capable, and he will provide great victory. He will. How about Joseph? Can I talk about Joseph for a moment? Could you be Joseph tonight? How would you feel if your own brothers tried to get rid of you? Throw them in a pit because they don't know what to do with them. Some Ishmaelites come along. Well, we don't want them around us, but we don't feel right about just killing them, so let's sell them as a slave. Let's turn them over to these Ishmaelites. Let's, let's make a little profit because if they take him back over to Egypt, we'll never have to deal with him again. We'll fake his death. We'll fool our dad. I, I don't have time to preach the many messages that are involved in even what I've said in the last 30 seconds. But I can tell you this. If I was Joseph and I'd had those dreams, I'd wonder where God was coming from. If I'm supposed to rule, how come I'm in this pit? How come I'm on my way to Egypt, a land where I know nobody? 
where I don't know the language, I don't know the customs, I don't know anything. I can't even communicate. I'm dragged around by a collar around my neck like an animal back to Egypt. I'm put on a block and I'm sold like an animal as a slave. But the attitude of David impresses me. If, I, if I'm going to be betrayed by my brothers, so be it. You know the number one reason that people are not serving God today? Because one of their brothers or sisters offended them, sold them out, and no, they're not going to serve God anymore. Not Joseph, no. No, if I'm going to be a slave, then I'm going to be the best slave. What an attitude. I'm going to be the best slave. He got in Potiphar's house. He maintained his integrity. God blessed him in the house of Potiphar. And pretty soon he's running the house. Pretty soon he's running the books. Pretty soon he's in charge of everything. And he sees that God really is looking out for him. And he's feeling pretty good about the situation until he's accused and convicted without a trial of rape. And now he's thrown into prison. Prison. A terrible, deep, dingy, bug-infested, filthy place. Where's God coming from now? What's God doing? Why am I in this prison if I'm supposed to be a, a ruler of some kind? And you know the rest of the story. God was preparing Pharaoh's heart with dreams. Do you know even sinners can have godly dreams? I hope you're hearing what I'm saying tonight. If God can't speak to people while they're awake, maybe we should pray that God will speak to people when they're asleep. Maybe we should pray that God would open their eyes as he opened the eyes of the servant of Elisha. God could do that. God could do that. And so he prepares the heart of Pharaoh with dreams. These dreams eventually come to Joseph's attention. He appears before Pharaoh and he's made the vice president of all of Egypt. He's the one that controls all the food. And even the Israelites, though they be numbered only at 70 at this time, have to rely on Egypt for food during the famine. Why did God allow all of that to happen to Joseph? to save his nation. Where was God coming from in all the terrible things that happened to Joseph that he allowed? Where was he coming from? He was promoting and he was preparing Joseph for the position that would save not only Israel, but Egypt and much of the known world at that time. Where's God coming from? He's coming from behind enemy lines. He came through Egypt to get to Israel. Or how about even the confusion of Christ's death? This had to be a tremendous blow to those that for three and a half years had followed Christ, seen his miracles, signs, and wonders, heard his teaching and his preaching, his parables and his stories related to the people and was able to give them spiritual insight through things that they lived around every day. 
What confusion must have taken place for Jesus even on a cross? You think not? You think he wasn't 100% man? Listen to him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you coming from? When are, is there going to be a rescue? Why am I in this position? I never wanted this cup. I feel all alone. I have no converts. I have no disciples. Nobody stood up for me at my trial and spoke on my behalf. And here I am, as a man, all alone on a cross, dying for mankind. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 19, listen to what he said to Peter earlier. I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice he said, I will, not I do. Because he did not have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he couldn't get the keys to the kingdom of heaven without dying for our sins. He had to go through this process. That's where God was coming from. Where are the 10,000 angels that could have destroyed the earth and set him free? No, that wasn't a part of God's divine plan. It was a dark hour. And even the, the scripture says that at his death, the earth quaked and the thunder rolled and all of nature was crying out at this evil atrocity that it was seeing unfold before them. They didn't understand. And how about Satan? Now that Jesus is dead, he's died on the cross, they're having a party, a party in hell. Finally got rid of this guy. All the damage that he did to our kingdom in the last three and a half years. We inspired the people. We inspired them to cry out for his crucifixion and his beatings. And we have succeeded. And he is now dead. It was Party time in hell. But all of a sudden, without a knock on the door, Jesus burst in and crashed their party. You talk about a party crasher. Jesus is a party crasher. And he crashed through those doors and he came in and he walked up to Satan and said, I will take those keys now, I have purchased them with my blood and with my life. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, give me the keys. Take a look at what Revelations chapter 1 has to say about the keys. Verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death. And he gave them to Peter just as he said he would. 
Aren't you glad that Peter used the keys to the kingdom of heaven in the book of Acts chapter 2? When they cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? We're locked out. We're excluded because of our sin, because of crucifying Jesus. And Peter took the keys. Key number one, repent. Key number two, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Key number three, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you, your children, those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We're still living in the days of evangelism, folks. The keys are still being used. Aren't you glad you have a set of keys? You have a set of keys. You see, Jesus was working behind enemy lines. He had already instructed them that because I live, you will live also. Now let me make a comparison here. To Isaiah chapter 63 versus the New Testament answer in Revelations 19 and 11. We talked about Basra and Edom and how God came through. Now watch this. This is about to happen. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is the opposite of what he was. He came humbly riding a donkey before, but this time... He's coming to judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And watch how he is dressed. Watch how he is dressed. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. His garments were red from blood and battle, but our garments were white. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he would smite the nations, that he would rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, just as he had done to Edom. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the best of all time. I'm sorry, Muhammad Ali, you are not the greatest of all time. Jesus is the greatest of all time. And he is both king of all kings and lord of all lords. Where is he coming from? When will he arrive? We don't know. But he has promised that he is going to show up. I may not be able to feel his presence all the time. I may not be able to see what God is doing. I may not be able to hear everything he says, but I know this. He's working, just like the song we like to sing. 
Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. He is working, folks, behind enemy lines. Where's God coming from? He's coming from above this time. He's coming from above. Where is God when I need him? Your senses may fail you. Your thoughts may fail you. But his word will never fail you. Hebrews 13 and 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee and I will never forsake thee. Matthew 28 and 20. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the world. God is coming through our enemies and will give us victory. Let me give you two last nuggets to chew on and remember. Number one, trust God for all that you need even if you can't see it. Trust God for all that you need. Thank God for all that you have because you can see it. Trust and thankfulness will bring us through. They are the cornerstones of our faith in the word of God and in all of his promises. The Last thought I want to share with you tonight is this. We didn't understand where God was coming from when he manifested himself in flesh the first time, did we? We didn't get it. The Israelites weren't ready for him. They crucified their king. We weren't ready because we didn't know where God was coming from. But now, because we have the ability of hindsight, we are able to say this. The first time that Jesus came, it was to do something. Now we know it was to purchase our salvation. But the second time Jesus comes, it will be to get something. And that will be the bride of Christ. Jesus, I thank you tonight for your graciousness. I pray that the church will remain faithful to you, that we will be able to know that you are working behind enemy lines. You're not sleeping, you're aware, and you're doing something about it. That we should remain faithful and be prepared for your coming. That we should be your television and radio stations declaring your goodness and the great things that you are doing, that we might be able to gather as Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 
or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.